Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. What three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island? This is what I've been asking wrestling's finest in and out of the ring, behind the scenes and behind the microphone over the last 12 months. And we're taking a look at some highlights from visitors to Cultaholic Island across the year. My name is Tom Campbell and this is part two of the best of Desert Island Graps 2022. Killer Kelly rocked up to the island this year, not long after making her Impact Wrestling debut. We talked about the signing of the contract and the future plans and all of that good stuff. But as Desert Island Graps has become known for, we regressed a little too. I asked Killer Kelly about her family and if any of them were, like her, into the wrestling world. And the answer wasn't what we expected. My brother was very obsessed with uh, sports and he still watches wrestling, even though he's like my super fan, but he still watches wrestling. And I feel like because my family never had an obsession towards something and never followed their dreams. Uh, like, for example, my dad was a Formula One driver in Portugal and he was really good, but he never left Portugal. Uh, to follow his dreams never uh like and he wanted it like he has been driving since he was like 14 and driving like porsche horses like he would steal my grandfather's porsche and just race around portugal uh at 14 which is very illegal uh <laughs> and uh, like my mom was um miss portugal she went to miss universe and she was a model like freaking beautiful and she got offered a contract uh with dior but she had to move to france she said no like both of my parents had their dreams uh literally on their hands but they were too afraid of chasing them Wow. So that is why every single thing that I'm obsessed with or that I like, I need to at least try it. And if I'm successful, bonus points. Why do you, why do you think they didn't? Is it just 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 fear of change? Fear and um, like Portugal is a beautiful country, and people get very um, cozy there. Like they have everything. Portugal is the epitome of the perfect country. Like I miss it a lot because of that. Like it's the weather, it's the people, it's everything in the hand. Like you can walk, you can go to nature, you can go to the beach all within like less than an hour. 
uh, like you have everything. And my my dad and my mom, they got married very young. My mom was 18, my dad was 20. And it was the whole thing of, you know, you, you start a family and you stay put, that is it. And they didn't wanna venture out. Like for, um, for example, even my brother, he had like a very successful um, job in Portugal, but it took him me leaving uh, Portugal to pursue my dreams and my sister as well to move from Portugal for him to even start thinking about maybe going to another country to receive like 10 times more pay than in Portugal. Like the money was ridiculous, the difference. But still, he was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. So it's the, the fear of leaving somewhere familiar and something that uh, you know it's there and going somewhere and being afraid of everything just come tumbling down. There's something quite incredible about how like your your dad, your mum, your brother all got offered these amazing things outside of Portugal and they're all like, no, I want to stay put. Whereas you got offered the world out of Portugal and you were desperate to go and Portugal wouldn't let you leave. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost Crazy. like, Mo- is this not the plot of Moana? <laughs> <laughs> where she's trying to where she's trying to get off the island and the water yeah. pushing nope, her back. Nope. <laughs> I think that's in, that's incredible. So are they uh, they must be like so excited and and so like gung ho for you to to go and do what they were f- afraid to do. Like, what's their reaction been to you pushing ahead the way you have? Well, at first, um, they were very like. Hmm are you sure you want to do this? Like you have a good job. Uh, I was a graphic designer. That was another thing that I was obsessed with. Like I loved magazines and my other dream was to be an editor at Vogue magazine uh, because I just love like putting stuff together. I love it. Um, So I followed that dream. I finally was working. uh, And then I was like, "Hmm, maybe I need something more. That's why the whole wrestling, like, I need to at least try it. Um, and I was, how old was I? I was, I, I was 25. I don't know. I don't remember. Time just passes by so quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and um, I just told my parents, hey, I'm just going to go to Germany for a week just to try this thing out. Um, and of course, I'll still have my job. I'll have everything. Little did they know that I actually quit my job because they wouldn't give me uh, vacation time? So I just said, okay, fuck you, I'm going. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so I just went, like nothing to lose. First day I fell in love with it. I was like, okay, I need to move to Germany. I need to be with WXW. And I came to Portugal and I started saving up money and not telling them until a few weeks before I officially moved. Uh, My mom was like, oh my God, I'm so scared, but you go girl, I believe in you. Like you can do this. My dad was just like, nah, you're gonna come back. Like, Uh... yeah, you're not like, whatever you can go, but I'm pretty sure like that you're gonna be back. 
uh, but like not in a mean way, but no. more like a yeah, I know. You you'll know still your have, destiny. Like, you'll you'll yeah. come back. You'll put your stone on top of the mountain. The island yeah. gives us what we yeah. need. And no yeah. <laughs> we talked in the last episode about how I find guests for the show and how I reached out to Ladybeard after seeing him pop up on Netflix. Similar story with. Crystal, a trailblazing Philippines wrestling champion who was heavily featured in the Netflix series Midnight Asia. Her journey was different and difficult as she was a pioneer who had to break through some tough glass ceilings. When they were bringing me up, because I'm first the first woman, right? So mm -hmm. they were kind of having a hard time how to include me into the current roster. They, they felt bad that they kept me like hidden and like waiting for another woman. But then like the girl that was supposed to, uh, you know, graduate with me and have the first women's match with me was just like, she, you know, she had to go away. Like her family didn't like her. Bit. And um, we made up this angle that I was like a, you know, uh, I was an, an, a ring announcer. I, I was actually a ring announcer for one of the shows. That was like terrifying. And then for the next show, they I basically was like the uh, backstage interviewer. And then that's where it started. Like there was this one guy, this one like misogynistic wrestler that was like, you know, Crystal, you should just make me savage, blah, blah, blah. You know, those type of comments. Mm -hmm. And then of course, you know, me... I have to go in there like, hey, can't do this. And then that's when I debuted. And then so like I was already like a graduate at this point. But like I wasn't being booked for any matches because I was still like in that, you know, awkward point that they couldn't do anything for me until they found like a, a pro more appropriate storyline for me to debut. But yeah, I was training-ish. So when it comes to sort of like you're waiting in the wings to debut because they can't find a female performer for you. Um, when the conversation started of just saying, them saying, why don't we just put Crystal in with the men and let's just do it. Was there, how, what was the reaction to that from the, from the locker room? Because sometimes in some locker rooms, that kind of thing is quite divisive, like the yeah. intergender matches. But how did the locker room uh, in, in the promotion take that? There were some guys who were against it, who were against it, just because like they felt weird, like you know, uh, hitting a hitting mm. a woman. But then a lot of them were like so used to me because I used to train with the guys all the time, and you know, in boot camp or like training. Uh, we we we've had like you know, we've cr I've crossed hands with almost everyone back then. Like no matter guy or girl, I was just like. I want to wrestle. <laughs> so most of the locker room was like, yes, finally, you're going to debut. Congrats. They, were, they weren't like apprehensive about it. They were like, I don't I don't want her to debut. I don't want to have a match with her. You know, they were just like, you're finally getting it. You deserved it. You know, you've been training for like a year or so, more than a year or so. And they were just like excited for me too, just because like I finally have that time to, you know, show the audience what i've been training for you know? 
And how did the audience react to it? I feel like them bringing you in as an announcer and then as an interviewer, they've got to know you. Yeah, um, yeah. Were they were they receptive in the right way when you finally debuted and started battering the men? Yeah, um, I think like a part of the uh, audience were freaking out just because um, they're like, "Oh, finally a girl!" and she's not like a you know a ring girl or like not a manager, an actual female wrestler. So like the uh, audience were just like cheering and cheering. And then the following time that I got booked, they were like, oh my gosh, Crystal, you're, we're going to finally have a girl in PWR in Philippine wrestling. And we're so excited. You know, we'll cheer for you. We'll cheer for you. And then like um, some of the friends that I have now were like one of, like I think there's this one guy who is like, I play games with him now and like we're friends. And like he was one of the guys that you know started cheering me on since like 2016 when I you know when I debuted so like I'm so thankful for the fans back then like back in 2016 because most of them are still here like you know cheering me on and like you know making posts about me or even like making you know posters during the shows they're still there every time I have a match and I'm just like I'm so thankful because you know, I'm not gonna sugarcoat this. Like, uh, there would be times that wrestling is tough. There would be times that your body would be like, oh, there would be like politics involved sometimes. I think that's like almost any company or like everywhere, there's always politics and like, you know, gossip. I just didn't mind it at all because I, I have like a clear view that I just want to wrestle. I just want to go places and wrestle. You know, that's my goal. And I didn't mind all the bad stuff but there would be times that it just accumulates like the bad stuff is accumulated you're tired you're exhausted there's like uh politics and backstabbing involved and there would be times that i'm down and then uh these fans would like randomly like after like a show or a match i they would come up to me if i'm like selling merch they would come up to me like they, they would give me a letter or like a sketch and they would be like, Crystal, this is for you. And then like, I would read the letter and I'm just like, oh, all my worries. Oh. In the summer of this year, we spoke to H.T. Drake. He is a secret weapon in the British wrestling arsenal. You hear the phrase best kept secret thrown around a lot. And H.T. Drake certainly is that. I wanted to invite H.T. Drake to Cultaholic Island because he deserves celebrating. It also gave us the chance to spill some tea, as the kids say, on a promotion that has a special place in the hearts of the Cultaholic founders, WCPW. A lot of people kind of go, oh, what happened with what culture and stuff like that? Uh, what happened with what culture? YouTube happened? Yeah. Demonetized? And that, that killed the business model? That's, yeah, well, that's, that's, I want to dig into that a little bit because obviously when you were doing it absolute, but then you were starting to work with WCPW as they were starting, yeah. what was kind of the temperature then? And obviously things have changed since then. With like all of a sudden you've got the, you know, the Northeast, which has got its own little wrestling bubble. Mm. And now this, this big YouTube beast has come in and set up shop. It was quite exciting um, for me. I, I I wasn't that bothered. The only thing that kind of got me was just like whether it happened to clash dates mm. long after we'd advertised the date. They'd advertised short notice, but yeah. because it had a massive following, half the people who would have possibly went to our show would then go to their show. 
bigger names, stuff like that. Fair game, 100% fair game. Yeah. But it was just the timing of it. It absolutely just murdered us money-wise. Um, and then we just, it was, again, it was just far too much time for it. But um, it was quite interesting because a lot of people, like, I'll, I'll totally admit, I didn't realise how big what culture was until after I'd been on the first show. And after I'd been on the first show and then I looked, I'm like, oh, I'll have a look at the match online and stuff. And then I saw that, oh, this what culture beast has a couple of million subscribers. <laughs> I, probably, do... I probably should have, I probably should have researched this before I went in. <laughs> you, also, you... I should have doubled my wages. Oh, anyway. <laughs> you didn't sign a contract, did you? I, I, didn't, I didn't sign shit. Uh... <laughs> I ain't signing nothing. What did uh, what was the wrestlers' reaction to WCPW? Obviously, everyone gets a payday, but like you're coming into a place where, like, I mean, with the greatest respects, you know, I'm one of that part of the machine now. YouTube people are like the the attraction. That's a bit weird. It was isn't weird. It? So it it was quite a strange thing. I think so. I think a lot of so a lot of external companies that they had bought stuff off were assuming it was gonna be a kind of like a tongue-in-cheek, ooh, we have wrestling, and it was going to be the YouTubers wrestling. Mm. So I don't know if people remember, the original What Culture heavyweight title belt was about this big. It was tiny. <laughs> and the first champion was a man called Big Demo. <laughs> Clues in the name. That looked like a toy on him. <laughs> I so mean, like, there's something the quite nice about it because it makes Big Demo look massive. Yeah, so <laughs> what it was is they'd ordered this title belt, and I think the company had seen who it was or whatever, and I don't know if there was a miscommunication or something or something with the sizes, but I think they thought it was just going to be like a laugh belt for some YouTubers to pass between them and that it wasn't a proper belt. Right. And it wasn't going to be for proper wrestlers. Same with the wrestling ring they bought. Oh. So the wrestling ring they bought was a training ring and the company that sent it, I don't know if they do this on everyone, but I remember looking at it going, my God, this is a bag of hammers this had been sent with chipboard chipboard for the base the beams were dead skinny and half of them were bent after the first show because you've got a man like big demo in there mm. so the, it, those who don't know the ribs are like we have like the square of the ring the ribs run across it to the center where there's a spring and they take a lot of the brunt of when people fall on the ring and they were bent and they were falling out after the first show. Jeez. And the chipboard, now, chipboard is all fine and well if you're, you know, building a wall and then you're going to cover it with, you know, some plasterboard or plaster it up or whatever. But it's not designed to flex, which is what a ring does. So they, I don't think they were expecting big, heavy, hard hits on this thing. So after the first show or two, the only thing the, the boards were good for was mopping up sick because they were just shattered. There's just, just chunks of them everywhere. Oh, so um, one of the kind of, I ended up looking after the walk culture ring because I said, listen, guys, you need to do this, this, and this to make this a lot better. And like one of the first things was they had to buy a whole set of new boards for this ring, which is you know not cheap. And then so they've got the correct boards and managed to do things with the, with the ribs to stop them jumping out and like basically taping them in and doing other bits and bobs because they were jumping all over the shop. The spring was like a rock, so we had to do some bits and bobs to try and make that a bit softer. The foam was god-awful on the ring, so I had to change that and just loads of stuff. And this is all before you started supplying rings. Well, no, I already had mine. You already had yours? So I'd already built and, and used mine for a good year or so before that to the point of 
when they started asking me, because didn't uh, that was the thing, they didn't have somebody who would look after the rings to put it up and down. Mm. So like, the first show, the person who had built the ring for him came and put it up, and then it was kind of like, oh, I've shown you how to do it, it's now yours, which is fair game, that's how you sell a ring. Um, but they didn't really have like a crew as such. So then after I kind of said, listen, I'll, I'll help you out with the ring, showed them a couple of bits and whatever, said, oh, do you mind looking after it? I was like, all right, okay. Mm. And then when they were booking me for every show, and they're like, oh, can you look after the rings? And so I was like, so I just use my ring. Yeah. If you sign it, you kind of by proxy becoming the head of the ring, you yeah. might as well just... I just say, well, same price, just use my ring. And, you know, then I know it's good. Because <laughs> I basically used my ring for one show and all the rest of went, oh, yeah, that's a lot better. And then it got used from then onwards. From one time bridge to the other one, let's go to Australia and chat to Charlie Evans. Now, despite being from Oz, Charlie truly made a name for herself on the UK scene. And Charlie has a special affinity for one particular city over here as well. And no, it's not London. We, we say that you're one of our own over here. You're, you're pretty much one of our own in the UK. Um, what, are, what are some of the things from life over here that you love the most? I think at the time, so like 2017 to 2020, it was just, you know, there was like this big group of us in Wolverhampton, which is insane. <laughs> Why? Um, but there was so many of us and there was people coming over constantly and they were staying like at the house or, or like down to the other wrestle house as well. And it was just like a big group of friends and you would hang out every day. And I think that was just really fun, like being able to, like England is such a small country, like compared to Australia and like uh, America. So being able to just be able to do so many shows throughout the week even is crazy. And I just like, I loved that. You, 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 there's a little bit in my heart that belongs to Wolverhampton because I lived there for a few years myself. Uh, wow. I'm originally a West Midlands boy <laughs> and, uh, and I end up going to work on the radio in Wolverhampton for a few years. And uh, so I'm keen to know where were some of the Wolverhampton pubs that Charlie Evans frequented? Please tell me it was the moon underwater near the train station because that's a delight. It's cheap and cheerful. There's always something nasty happening in there, so it's good for people watching. <laughs> Was there any other places? Number one, Did... Number one will always be Planet. Nice. Oh, that's a good shout. That's a good shout. I swear to God. <laughs> I get emotional talking about it. <laughs> what was your best I night in Planet? What was, what's the number one night you had in Planet? Me and Millie would just decide to go there at like 11.30 on a Thursday. Like we'd be in bed and we'd go, fuck, you want to go to Planet? And we'd just go for an hour. Like, and we just dance. And like the drinks are pound fifty. <laughs> and it's just, it's just so fun. It was maybe like, a five minute drive from where I was living. Everyone is just nice. Everyone's cool. Thursday night planet is the goat. You can't go wrong. Like I literally like love it. Like <laughs> when I was, when I had to move back for the pandemic, I was like, fuck, I want to go to planet. I want to go to planet. So bad, so bad, so bad. And then when I came back recently, like it was like the first thing that we wanted to do. So talk to well, me emotionally how that first night back in planet was was it cheeky planet night it was right so you had to do a it cheeky was. planet it was it was like uh like two pound to get in or some shit <laughs> and oh 
so good. Like me and Millie straight away, like we brought Connor as well and he's just not into that sort of music. He's getting more into it, but he's like a rap hip hop boy. So he was just in shock, you know, and there's goths with like their neck painted. and It's just a whole different world for him, but it was so good. Love, I love Planet. There's a lovely, there's a lovely video on your Twitter of Connor in Planet. And and I love it because for some it is, you know, it is the nerves of meeting the family, meeting the parents, meeting the friends. I feel like for Connor and you, that was a, a, a galvanizing moment in your relationship, right? You've got to come to the planet. I was like, you have to love it. If you don't and love he it. Does, we went to a uh, went to an emo night in Sydney this weekend, just gone. And he was like, oh, planet's so much better. Like, yeah. <laughs> hey! We've got him! Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. got to know Shaheen in 2022, the first Emirati-born pro wrestler to compete in the UK. We talked when he came onto the island about the cultural shift for wrestling in the United Arab Emirates and how WrestleFest DXB, the promotion that he is a major part of, was helping to change said culture in Dubai. Okay, so WrestleFest DXB in this in this side of the world in the Middle East, we want to be a beacon to aspiring wrestlers, not just established wrestlers, to be able to have dreams of performing on this side of the world. Because I don't know if I mentioned this before, I was I was just sitting at home waiting for the day that a promoter would reach out from the UK or the States. I worked hard on my social media presence. I'm reaching out to people, but you know, no one wants to, no one wants to fly out an Emirati kid and pay this much amount for a ticket and accommodation and transport. They might as well book 10 local wrestlers for the same amount. 
So I had I I've been a go getter. I've I've been going to these places. I've been I headed to the UK. I've been to some indie shows over there. I went to the states. I've been to some indie shows over there as well. So I came back with that idea of if if they can do it, why why can't I do it? And not in a sense of 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 running my own indie show, but hey, this side of the world, there's a vacuum. The WWE signed an exclusive deal with Saudi. So there's no, there's never gonna be a wrestling scene here till that deal ends. So let's do something about it. And I sat down with my friends and I told them, let's let's start a scene. Let's do something. We have to start filming these shows. We have to start garnering all the fans because once I post snippets of myself on Reddit, for example, people from Dubai comment and ask, "Yo, there's wrestling in Dubai? I'm a wrestling fan." So. There is an audience. There are people who grew up watching wrestling and want to attend these shows, and for them to see someone they can identify with is is something that I've always wanted to do. It's it's my number one goal. I want someone. I want a kid to 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 look up to me from this side of the world to say, "Hey, he I I I identify with him." I relate to him. He's Arab. He's a Marathi. He's Middle Eastern. Uh, I can do this too, you know. In that sense. So with WrestleFest DXB, I'd like to call it a dream factory. Why? Because I got my first booking within a few months of training. It was in Pakistan. It was crazy of me to abs- to fly out of Dubai and go to Pakistan to go to Karachi of all places to. To be on my first show and my parents thought it was dangerous and what, what are you doing it's not safe and the roads you know the roads are unsafe the people are unsafe you have to be careful this and that and i'm like no i i, I want to go i want to do this and i've taken the risk i've done uh two nights in pakistan um i've done my first international show in pakistan came back and this this thought process was in my head like um I'm not an established wrestler, but they reached out to me because I'm from Dubai. I'm I'm an aspiring wrestler, and they gave me that stage to experience what it's like to be a wrestler. So I wanna I wanna give that back. I wanna pay it forward to other wrestlers, aspiring wrestlers in the UK and in the states to be able to do the same. We added another Cultaholic residence to our Cultaholic Island list in 2022 as we sat down with Fraser Porter for the first time. Now, Fraser has come on leaps and bounds this year, now fronting his own series here on Cultaholic and anchoring daily news videos. He's very much become a well-oiled, very crucial part of our machine. His, his episode took us back to one of his first wrestling experiences. No. He took us back when he came onto the island to one of his first experiences working in the world of wrestling. Another photo that I want to talk about mm-hmm. uh, is from 2016. Okay. And it's it's in the center of a What Culture Pro <laughs> yes. Wrestling ring. Yeah, yeah. And it is the cast of, of what would become Cultaholic and Correct. others. And others. And yourself. And myself, yeah. How did, because this is the thing I always find quite fun, is that people assume that you're the new guy. Mm-hmm. That you've been like, but the thing is, you've been the new guy for like eight years. <laughs> really, haven't you? I, have, I did my work, yeah. So 
four years ago this month, I did my work experience. We'll get onto that company. in a minute because I want to ask about but, that. But that, fa- but that, but that first introduction to what culture? Because you yeah. were doing stuff for Steel Chair magazine. Yes. Um, were you doing stuff with Vulture Hound via Steel so Chair Steel as Chair well? And Vulture Hound are the same. They're the company. same people, yeah. right? Okay. So prior to like uh, prior to 2016. Again, me and Jordy had set up our own website. This was, I'm talking 2013. We're like, cool, we want to write about stuff. We want to have a place to put things. So we called it Torn Flag Reviews. We were reviewing video games, and it was the height of of like E3. So all this video game stuff was coming out. We were writing news articles. Uh, we managed to get some interviews with developers, stuff like that. We then sort of, I was like, well, I want to sort of go into wrestling a bit. So I was like, cool, well, we'll I'll develop my own blog based off of what we were doing with video game stuff. And... On a, I think when when I'd left school, I was like, cool, well, this is the WC, what culture was what I'd been watching. I'd been keeping an eye on it, and it was I really enjoyed it. When they announced the WCPW show, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to go to Newcastle. I'm not in school anymore. I can, I'm free to go down. So I went down with a group of friends, went to the first show, and I was like, well, this would be a really great opportunity to interview people, like interview wrestlers that I wouldn't ever get the chance to do, and that might bring some eyes onto my blog and then allow me to build a portfolio to go to uni to do journalism or something along those lines it'll get me in the door of anywhere um so i i emailed their press team and was like hey i would really like the chance to interview some of your stars of of wcbw some of the wrestlers is this possible and it was Susie kennedy that got back to me she was like yeah of course uh put you down for a ticket uh, and we'll we'll let you interview. And she, she'd said at that point I could have one person to interview, and I think it was going to be, um, who was it going to be? I think it was Hendry, Joe Hendry, Joe Hendry. I think it was Joe Hendry that I'd been put down, or and yeah, it was Joe Hendry that was being put down to interview. I turned up, and she goes, um, "Joe's not quite ready for you yet, uh, but we've got other people." Now I being seventeen. I wasn't very experienced in interviewing. So no. I really prepared an interview, which in hindsight, I prefer now doing a free flow interview that's something that's very loosely structured. Whereas that back then I was like, question, question, question. Doesn't matter what he said before, I'm going to ask this next question. But Susie goes, yeah, Joe's going to be about 15, 20 minutes. Um, here's Will Osprey if you want to have a chat with him. Wow. And I'm like, shit. I don't have questions. I've, for I've got nothing. I've got from. No, that would give me hives. I was like, like I, I'd want to go in with at least some bullet points. I was like, well, what do I know about Will Osprey? I was like, if you just give me two minutes while I set up on my, my, my dictaphone that I'd brought down with me and all my sort of equipment um, and my notebook. Um, and I'm like, fuck. And I'd thankfully just been aware of Will Osprey because it was off the back of his, his ricochet match that went viral mm. and was very controversial for its content. Um, and the, all the flippiness. I was like, okay, let's ask about New Japan. I knew nothing much about New Japan at that point, but I got away with it, winged it all, managed to get an interview out of it. I was like, cool, right, I've survived that. <sighs> Joe Henry does not walk over the table next. It was Demo. Oh, big Demo! And I was like, oh, great to meet you, a big fan. You know, thank you so much. If uh, I was, he was like, well, you want an interview? And I was like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why not? Let's do it. So I did it, and we got through. And he was he was way very relaxed, and he made me feel very very comfortable to interview. And we went twenty five minutes, and he just gave me the full time. And it was like, man, this this is really cool that he's so chill about it. And I was like, right, I've survived that one. Come at me, Joe. Let's get this. Let's let's do the Joe one. I'm it wasn't Joe. Go. It was Gradle. 
Oh, oh my god, this is not this is a nightmare, but also like really cool. It's, it's a it's a really good problem to have. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, right, I've got Grado, and uh, at that point, I remember, um, I was like, right, I've met Grado before, so I can chat with him about that. And I met him at Coke Cabana's Art of Wrestling podcast at the Fringe, um, and I've seen, I know about his career more so than everyone else's. That's cool. Got through it. Again, I was like, right, Joe Henry's next. Uh-uh. Chat the jobber. Oh, <laughs> so I was like, okay, this is cool. He's firing people. At yeah, you. they were really going for it. Um, so Jack, Jack gave a great interview, um, great advice, sort of thing. Um, we were got talking from there, and we we got it done. And then Joe Hendry came over. I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> got the interview done. And then again, they threw no, I'm dar at me, and I'm like, oh, for, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> but I've got a lot of content now. Um, and then we got the photos in the ring after at the end of the, that event. It was just like, oh, well, that's really cool. You know, these are the guys I'm watching on YouTube. Um, and I'm getting to do something that's adjacent to like, similar to what they're doing, but I'm getting to utilize my own thing. Now, Fraser's interviewing skills have only increased a hundredfold since then, as evidenced at the end of August, when he set up a chat with The Room's Greg Sistero. Oh, hi, Mark. Yeah, that one. Greg told Fraser about his wrestling fandom and he even got some cool stories from his early movie days out of him, did our Fraser. And I mean really early movie days. At 12 years old, you wrote a script and submitted it for Home Alone 2, correct? Yes. Can you tell me a little um, bit about that? Yeah, I saw the movie Home Alone. Uh, I was 12. I was obsessed with the story. You know, I was like, I love Christmas. I love the idea of you know, defending your own house, making traps. So I really, I didn't know what to do with that passion. And I just came home and I started writing out a story that was going to take place at my other favorite thing, uh, Disney World. And I was like, you know, Kevin, he's going to get on the wrong plane. He's going to go to Disney World. He's going to meet this friend. Me, he's a little bit older, who can help fight the bandits, who the bandits are now janitors at Disney World. Okay. So I wrote out this whole script. I believed in it. I had a soundtrack. Like it meant so much to me. I wasn't doing homework. I wasn't doing schoolwork. I was just writing the script. So I tracked down John Hughes production company. I sent it to him. I thought this is going to happen. I had even had dreams where he pulled up with a contract to my house in a red Ford Explorer. Um, it just, it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I believed something big was going to happen. And then a month later, I got the script returned, and I was devastated, but in those pages was a handwritten note from John Hughes talking about follow your dreams, um, and it was just something that, um, even though I was hurt, I couldn't watch Home Alone for a long time, it still was like, okay, as I, as I got older, it meant even more to me. So I knew what I wanted to do at that point. And that was tell stories. Fraser Porter in conversation with Greg Sistero from The Room and Miracle Valley and very nearly Home Alone 2. Come back tomorrow for our final Desert Island Graps 2022 retrospective featuring Commander Stephanie Sterling's Journey Through America, Mike Bennett's Positive Reinforcements and Anthony Ogogo's Stiffy for AEW. It'll make sense tomorrow, I promise. Stay safe and love you. Bye. Thank you. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 